You may be seated. What an amazing, beautiful, sunny day it is today and a great opportunity to be able to gather together in church and worship together. It's so good to have you here. Again, welcome. Um, if this is one of your first times with us, a special welcome to you. I uh, hope that you find yourself at home and uh, that you're amongst friends and family here this morning. So we just uh, hope that you have a great experience that way. We're actually in the midst of a series here this morning. We're, we're up to part three on a, in a series on prayer. So this is the third of, of four messages in that. And I hope it's both, for those that have been here, I hope it's been both inspiring and challenging to you as we've talked about prayer. Because I, I want to inspire us like to pray, like I want to inspire us. I was like, yes, I can do this. But at the same time, I think there's, there's, it's like exercise. I think there's, there's room for a good stretch sometimes for that sense of like, ugh, you know, maybe this isn't quite as comfortable as what I had hoped, that maybe we can grow in the area of prayer. And as we've gone through, it's like uh, we've looked at a few different things, but it's just this idea of engaging with God on a real level as real people, getting honest with God in the area of prayer and, and continuing to interact to both to speak and to listen, but to spend that time and communicate as we go along. As part of our prayer journey through this month, the, today I want to briefly explore the biblical discipline of fasting. Now I have your attention. D did he say fasting? It's like, yes, yes, I said fasting. <laughs> and if you're a person that fasts for spiritual purposes, good on you. If you've never fasted and you're not quite sure, okay, what's this whole fasting thing about? Perfect. I'm glad you're here this morning. That's, this message is for you. But, you know, often fasting evokes different thoughts, right? We mentioned the word fasting is like people are like, well, um, okay. So let me, let me throw out some things that fasting is not. Okay, so maybe this will help to break down some, some thoughts and some different things with this. This is some things that, uh, that fasting is not. But, but before I even say that, I want you to picture in your head. When I say some fasting, I want you to picture someone that fasts. Like the thought that comes to your mind. Like when we think of different people, maybe we stereotype it as like, you know, like when I say fasting, like what, what comes to your mind? Is it, is it strange like, is the, does the person look strange? Like, when you think about somebody that fasts, is, is, does your mind go to, oh, that's, that's a legalistic type? You know, they're one of these, like, legalistic people. Maybe a religious fanatic. The, the only people that, that fast are religious fanatics. Maybe for you, the, the thought of fasting may evoke fear, wondering if maybe this is some kind of a cult. The next thing that happens is you have to shave your head and walk on coals. Okay, no, that is not the case. Okay, fasting is actually normal for, for Christians, or, or should be. But let me address some of the things that fasting is not. First of all, fasting is not a hunger strike against God. Okay, so that's one of the things, we, like, fasting is not like a toddler holding their breath until you give them what they want, you know, it's like they'll turn blue, fall over. Like, no, fasting is not that idea. It's like, God, I'm not going to eat until you give me what you want, what I want. Okay, so fasting is not that. Fasting is not a diet or a detox, although it kind of could be used as that, I suppose. I mean, medically, it does still do that, but that's not the purpose behind fasting. Fasting is not done because food is somehow evil. Food is good. Food is great, although I don't think deep-fried potato skins with sour cream, bacon bits, extra cheese is what God had in mind when he created the potato, but food is good, okay? There's, it's not intrinsically bad. 
somebody's mouth just watered. <laughs> okay? Fasting is not done because our bodies are evil. God created us. He created us in his image. So we're not somehow punishing ourselves because of our humanity. It's not that. And it's not an effort to manipulate God or even to earn favor with him. Okay, fasting's not to somehow earn our right to approach God because we know that our salvation doesn't come through works, it comes through faith. We, we know that, that when we approach God, we can approach God through grace and approach boldly to the throne. So it's, it's not those things. So if it's not all of those things, what is it? Well, here's a basic definition, okay? A basic definition of fasting would be this. It's the voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes, it's voluntary abstinence of food for spiritual purposes. If you take the spiritual purposes out of it, you get a diet. Okay, so it's like you have to have both. In the broader sense, fasting, when we think about it, it could be viewed as denying something you would normally do for the sake of enhancing your spiritual life. Okay, so a broader definition of it, just opposed to, to like the biblical definition has to do with food. Okay, so that, uh, that concept. But in our day and age that we live, we are consumed with many, many things. So fasting actually could be maybe the giving up for a period of time, Facebook for a period of time, and instead of going on Facebook, we pray, or giving up television. Like maybe, okay, not so much nowadays, but it's like, well, Netflix. Okay, you're going to give up Netflix and pray for that period of time instead of going on Netflix. Or probably the big one nowadays in those, I'll say, 40 and younger would be video games. <laughs> like, you're going to forego video games, and instead of playing your video games, you're going to pray. Okay, so that's a way of fasting, the way of, of giving up something for spiritual purposes. I know someone that gave up chocolate um, for a period of time in order to pray into a specific situation in their life. And so, they, and so that was a big deal for them. And... Um, but it was for spiritual purposes. I want to read a few scriptures, of the, starting in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 2. Uh, I'll be reading from the NIV if you wanted to follow along there. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to grab a couple of these things. I want to show you how almost normal or how, how often this actually happened in the Bible. But Acts, chapter 13, starting at verse 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, so that's a very, you know, that's just a basic picture of, of an event in the book of Acts. Then down the next chapter, Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. And this is about church leadership. It's about making decisions. And, and it says this, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So in Acts 13, we have the church, or we have the leaders there praying and sending Barnabas and Paul out. And here in chapter 14, verse 23, we have Paul and Barnabas basically doing the same thing. Their prayer and fasting is like they learned from that experience, and they're applying it to their experience where they committed these leaders to the Lord. It seems that for the early church, 
that fasting and prayer went hand in hand with the decision-making process. If there was an you know, if there was something important that had to be decided, if they, if they were appointing leaders, if they were setting somebody apart for ministries, like this stuff mattered enough to them that they said, "Okay, we're going to pray and we're going to fast and we're going to believe God to speak and give us guidance." I mean, Jesus taught his followers about fasting, so this is Jesus teaching the twelve, and and anybody that would listen, really. And so in Matthew chapter six, and this is this is a piece out of what we call um, the Sermon on the Mount. So this is a, a bunch of teaching that Jesus was doing. And so he's teaching these crowds in, in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 16. He says, when you fast, I know it's just semantics, but it's interesting to me that it doesn't say if you fast. Jesus is teaching, like he's talking to his, the crowds, and he says, when you fast. So it's kind of like, you know, we talked about that last week with prayers, like when you pray. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they're fasting. I tell you the truth, that they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it, will be not, it won't be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who, is, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Right? He says, like, don't make this a public spectacle. This isn't about getting attention. And fasting is not a way to show people how religious you are. It's a way to show God how serious you are. You get that? It's not a way to show other people how spiritual you are or religious you are. It's a way to show God how serious you are. It speaks to our motivation. I mean, part of the key of fasting is not to simply skip meals for a few days, but to spend extra focused time in prayer and connecting with God on a spiritual level. It's a matter of the heart. We want our, we want our hearts to connect with God. And this is a way that God has described and, and Jesus has described and we see in the Bible that it's showing up here. And no, it's not normal, I'll say, in our culture. But it seems to be normal in Jesus' day and in the early church and what they were doing. It was something that happened. We read again in Joel chapter 2. This is the Old Testament prophet. Joel chapter 2, starting at verse 12. You guys with smartphones can probably jump around pretty fast. Joel chapter 2, verse 12. And it's God speaking to the people of Israel. He says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Return to me with all your heart. It's a heart issue. Our desires have so much power or influence over what we do. You see this so much as a pastor. The truth is that people will typically do what they want to do. All of us. We do what we want to do. So it's very rarely a knowledge issue. We don't always do what we know we should do, but we almost always do what we want to do. So the challenge is, that's why God's talking about our hearts. Because if, if we can allow God to get a hold of our hearts, our wants align with what God wants, and suddenly we're doing what God wants 
You know what I'm saying? So it's like this, even this idea of fasting and prayer, it's not so much about being legalistic, but it's a way to align our hearts, to connect our hearts, connect our wants and redirect those wants in the way that God would have us go. The desire to connect with God. I mean, we've all felt hunger pains, right? We've all had that, you know, that's like, hmm, I'm hungry. Normal to our human existence, right? That's, that's part of being human. It's part of our physiology. We feel hunger, and we know what we do when we feel hungry, especially in our culture. If you're hungry, you eat lots, right? We, we, I mean, we do not, it's very rarely that we would deny ourselves that we're hungry, that we would go, hmm, isn't that something? I'm hungry. I'm not going to eat, though. Right? This is a case of taking our will, I'll say, our, our inclinations, our natural human response to that, and taking our willpower to forgo that desire to eat in order to go after God. It puts us in touch with our humanity. And think of it as kind of a physical manifestation, a way to, to um, connect with a physical hunger to eat versus a spiritual hunger to have more of God, right? It's a way to, it's like, hmm, I'm hungry because that gets our attention. You're sitting there at your desk or whatever and your stomach growls. All of a sudden, hmm, I'm hungry, right? If we can, in a moment, if we can take for a period of time and say, hey, I'm going to take that inclination, that thing that just got my attention that says eat, and instead of eat, I'm going to pray, See what I'm, what I'm saying here? It's, like, it's almost like an, a, a pop-up that comes up on your screen. Your stomach growls, and it's like a pop-up that comes up on your screen. It's like, hey, you have a meeting in five minutes. Right? It, it's a physical pop-up screen that says, hey, time to pray. It, it's, it's a way of being able to connect with. It's a form of self-denial. And I know self-denial is very much a swear word in our culture. <laughs> to say self-denial is like cussing. It's a four-letter word. Because really, we have so much, and in excess many times, that we get so accustomed to satisfying whatever need, whatever desire is there, that we kind of get this idea that it's our God-given right to be comfortable all the time. Mm. That one's good, but not popular. In his book, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer, he says this, Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present for there to be a manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. I'm going to repeat that. Tozer says this, Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present for there to be a manifestation of Christ in his people or to his people. He waits to be wanted. How desperate are we really? How desperate? I mean, I, I pray that we would develop an even more acute hunger for God. I mean, you're here, right? You're here this morning. And it's like, that's, that's incredible. There's a million places that we could be right now. But you were determined enough to get up this morning Get ready and come to church. That's one of the things that with coming to church, it's like some people, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. It's like, it's true, you, you don't. But it's one of those ways that we actually make an effort to be in a place where 
we're with people of like precious belief and faith that we can kind of connect and meet with God at the same time. And, and it's an act of, and I believe God honors that. And, it's, and, I, and I, it's so important that we meet with God in our homes and on our own. But there's something special about this. Again, it's making an effort to connect with God. It's a way to be humble before God, to deny ourselves for a bit, to push through a little discomfort with a tendency, to, because we have a tendency to avoid anything that doesn't give us instant gratification. Being hungry physically is not godliness. I'm not saying that. It's being willing to make a sacrifice for God and to God. It's an act of worship. God, I'm willing to put time with you before food or something else. It's, it's just a way of connecting. It's a way of humbling. I read this last week, but I, I want to read it again in thinking of this idea of connecting with God. And even with our response to God and from God, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting at verse 14. And it's like, if you're, if you're taking notes and you're writing some of these down, it's, oh, it's always so good to read these little blurbs that I'm pulling out in context, because when you read the whole story, you get so much of a bigger picture. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people, if, if my people, who are called by my name. If my people will humble themselves, humble themselves. Like if my if if my people will humble themselves. If my people will humble themselves and pray. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. If if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and repent, will turn from their wicked ways, then, if my people, then, I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. If, if we can humble ourselves, if we can find, find it within ourselves to, to, to begin to release some of that I got this, God. Release some of that self-made, self-preservation, self-sufficient, self, self, anything familiar here? Self, if we can begin to release some of that to God and humble ourselves and seek his face, seeking the face of God, I've heard this analogy before, so I'm going to throw it out. It's something that just came to my mind as I was preaching. It's not in my notes. We've all played, no, I shouldn't say that, overgeneralization. Many of us have played hide and seek. Or many of us have played, like, at Easter, and no, this is, yeah, you can make this pagan if you want to, but at Easter, you hide the little Easter eggs and the kids go looking for them. Okay, let's not get into a religious debate about this. It's, it's an ob- okay? So this is just a, an object lesson. Both times, I want you to think about this. The idea of playing hide and seek is not to be impossible to find. We play hide and seek because of the joy of discovery. There's 
There's, it's fun. The person that hides, it's not an intention to escape. When we hide the Easter eggs for the kids to find, the idea is not to make it impossible. It's the joy of discovery for the kids. God himself, like sometimes we feel like God is so hard to find. We feel like God is, is out there somewhere. And I think it's important for us to realize God does not hide or desire for us to seek him because he wants to be distant, detached, and hard to reach. It's almost that joy of discovery and that posture that it puts us in to be seeking him that there's, it whets our appetite and it brings our focus to something that's beyond ourselves. I mean, think of how much fun it is when you actually find someone when you're playing hide-and-seek. It's, it's way more fun than just bumping into them in the room. The idea of like, it, how much more, how much more um, satisfying is it for that child to find that Easter egg than if they were all sitting on the kitchen table? How much more precious is it when we can bring ourselves to seek his face? I mean, for, to some extent, it challenges us to take our spirituality one step further. I mean, this is beyond being a Christian in name only. This is beyond the normal expectations for us in our culture. This asks the question, am I really willing to give up something in order to pray for my city, to pray for my church, to believe for the next generation? Am I prepared to invest in this and sacrifice something, anything, to bring me to that place of humility in seeking God? And you guys are thinking, wow, preach it. You know, it's like, it's not a rah-rah message. I know, this challenges us. I hear you. Am I really willing to give up something in order to, to pray for my city, my church, and the next generation? Prayer is one of those things, and, and I said this when I began this whole series. I am a student of God's word, and I am a student of prayer. And I'm not, I've, I'm, in, I'm in kindergarten prayer. I'm your pastor, and I'm at kindergarten level. It's like I'm believing that as time goes by that, that I'll get to be learning about prayer on a high school level and maybe one day get a degree in prayer. But right now, even myself, it's like there's so much. The more I learn about prayer, the more I realize I don't completely understand it, don't completely grasp it, and I want to learn more. God, help me to understand prayer more. And today, it's like even that. It's like I think even this message is kind of, you know, it maybe, maybe we're in middle school this morning. But it's like this idea of studying prayer and understanding prayer. It's like I don't completely understand prayer. But it's like there's things in the Bible that when I read them, they just blow my mind. And I want to share one of those mind-blowing scriptures with you this morning, and I hope it blows your mind too. James chapter 5. James has been teaching them about prayer and holiness, and he's going down through. And James, again, he is like, he pulls no punches. I love his style. James, in chapter 5, is talking about prayer. He's talking about, you know, he, prayer for healing and some of these different things. And so he goes down through and James chapter 5, starting at verse 16, is where I'm going to, to, to kind of merge into this text for the sake of time. James chapter 5, verse 16. Talking, and, like, and think about what I've already mentioned about humility, about seeking God, like all those things. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What's more humbling than than confessing that you've made a mistake. Con confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And we're like, that's great. That's, that's, that's like, okay, 
I can do that. I confess, I'm sorry. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. Listen to the next verse. Probably one of the most challenging prayer scriptures that I have stumbled upon in the scriptures. Elijah was a man just like us. Let that one sink in for a minute. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. Say what? I mean, that's exciting and challenging at the same time. Have you ever thought of yourself just like Elijah? Have you ever pictured yourself calling fire down from heaven or praying that it would stop rain and you get a three and a half year drought? Have you ever put yourself on the same level as the prophet? Have you ever considered the authority that's available to us in the way of scripture when it talks about prayer? And again, this is not some sort of a magic trick where you just do things a certain way. But it challenges me. It's like, okay, what had, if, if Elijah was a man just like us, what did he tap into that I haven't yet? What was it about Elijah and his walk with God that allowed him to do what he did? Now, remember, it wasn't all peaches and cream for Elijah, right? He had it, he, he earned every stripe, like it, but at the same time, there, was, there must have been something because it says that Elijah was a man just like us. That challenges me. That's what helps me to realize I'm still in kindergarten when it comes to prayer. I haven't raised someone from the dead recently. But there's different things. There's, right, when we look at this, it's like Elijah was a man just like us. That, that's, that's, I mean, what a challenge to me. I mean, how, how, God, how do I tap into that? But at the same time, church, let's raise our expectation. Let's maybe allow our faith to grow a little bit. And, and, and perhaps it takes time. It takes different things. It takes steps of faith where we pray for something. We believe for something. We actually take notice. It's like, hey, God answered that. I love I love prayer and prayer meetings and sometimes, but I, uh, one of the things that sometimes discourages me is we, we go to prayer meeting after prayer meeting after prayer meeting and we pray and we come back the next week and we pray and we come back the next week and pray, but have we actually taken notice that God has actually answered many of those prayers and we're so busy praying for the next thing we never acknowledge that, hey, wait a minute. God answered my prayer. We do it out of duty, but with very little expectation. It's like, when I think about, we're coming up to this week, and, and, and I'm about to challenge this, I'm, I'm going to steal my own thunder. I'm about to challenge us to think about and to participate in prayer and fasting this week. That we're going to set aside some time to pray and to fast. But can we elevate our expectation as like, is this just going to be a religious experience? Is this just going to be, you know, I'm just going to go through the motions. It's like, well, the pastor said I have to do it, so I'm going to do it. Or can we approach that from a sense of like, wait a minute, this is like, this is scripture, this is Bible. It's like either we believe it or we don't. 
It's like either our faith is based upon the Bible or it's not. Either there's a sense that, that there's, there's something real here that we can sink our teeth into that will affect our world and us internally, or, or we're going through the motions. They're beautiful motions. It's like the music's great. The seats are comfortable. It's like it's all good, you know? But what if we took it to the next level? I'll describe it to you this way. I believe with all my heart that God wants to reach our city. I believe that God wants to turn the city upside down for the glory of God. A sense of impacting every area of our culture where the word of God is spread throughout this city that people have an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to it in whatever they, they will. At the same time, I believe God is wondering how serious we are about seeing that happen. How many times do we think, okay, well, that's the pastor's job, or that's the spiritual elite's job, or that's the professional, you know what I mean? It's like, well, that's the mission's leader's job, or that's somebody else's job, or that's somebody that's more mature than I am. I'm, I'm, I'm just learning. I'm just beginning here. And we, and we defer the idea that, we can be a part of what God wants to do in our city. And in fact, we are what, a part of what God wants to do in our city, and that's both humbling and challenging. Because I believe what God wants to do in our city is a grassroots movement of the church where people, ordinary people with ordinary jobs and families, grab this gospel of an extraordinary God and live it out in their homes, where they work, in their school, on the bus, at the grocery store, when you're pumping gas, when somebody cuts you off in, in traffic, all those places we begin, we actually carry the presence of God into every one of those situations. And one on one and little by little, the gospel of Jesus Christ impacts people where they live and where they breathe and how they face everything that they face. And we become a missional church. How hungry are we? You see, I'm determined that if there's something, even something as simple as skipping a meal and praying and seeking God, that just maybe it will allow me to connect with God on a deeper level and just maybe it creates the potential for God to move in a way that I hadn't seen him move in my life before, that just maybe if giving up a meal, something as simple as that, and praying and seeking his face, and humbling myself, if that could release something of the power of God in my life that I've never seen before, I'm in. Right? It's, I mean, that's just where I live. I mean, maybe that's not where you live, but that's just, that's just where, I mean, okay. I mean, it's not a magic formula. I know it's not a magic bullet, but it's not something that's like, but it's a sense of, no, I want, I'm going to invest something in this. We're going to get some skin in the game. We're actually going to be a part of it where we're like, no, I, I will do this. I will choose to be a part of that. I mean, why not? Let's do it, church. I mean, what, what, what have we got to lose? A few pounds, and some people went, hallelujah. Glory. Give me that one. A little inconvenience, maybe. <laughs> Maybe a, a little humility might come in there when somebody says, what do you mean you're not having lunch? No, no, it's okay, I'm good. 
It's like, yes, I'm probably going to get 12 phone calls this week for lunch meetings. I'm almost sure of it. And long about Thursday or Friday, it's going to take every ounce of willpower for me not to say yes. And it's like, well, I'm doing it for the glory of God. I need to go eat something with this person because that's Right? It's like, you'd be amazed at how things can pop up when you decide you're going to fast. You smell food everywhere. But here's my thought. Will you join me this week? Will you join me in praying and fasting for our church? The people that go here, the people don't go here yet. To pray for our city, to pray for our city leaders, to pray for the lost in our city, to pray for a move of God to come and transform us that we may go and transform the world. Can we pray together and believe in like, yeah, like fast? That sounds spiritual. Well, it can be. I mean, what do we got to lose, honestly? But will you join me in doing that? I mean, I'm believing that as we press in deeper, that we will actually tap into more of God. I'm naive, I know, but it seems to be said in the Bible, and if it says it in there, why not try it? <clears throat> I mean, come on. So, I guess here's, here's where I'm going with this, and now it gets practical. That's the challenge, okay? So I have just thrown down the gauntlet, gauntlet, drawn a line in the sand, and put the challenge out there. Now I'll get practical about it. Here's what I would like to propose. I'd like to propose that each of us consider being involved in fasting and prayer over this following week, starting Monday through Friday. To facilitate that, there's a couple things that, that I, I propose. There's a little room that if, when you go back to the cafe, there's a set of stairs right beside there that goes up, and there's a place there called the upper room. That upper room will be open office hours this week, Monday through Friday, for prayer. That space up there. That's where I will be for lunch for the Tuesday through Friday. You're welcome if you have time in your schedule that if you work in the city and you have a lunch break that allows for it, stop by, stop by and let's pray together. Or if you have time during the day and you want to just do that, that is available, okay? So that space is available. But it doesn't have to be here. That's just an opportunity to do that. But I encourage you, wherever you are, to set aside some time to fast and pray. And if you've never prayed or you've never fasted before, I mean, most of us have prayed, but if you have never fasted before, I do not, remember, I do not recommend a crash seven-day complete fast, okay? you got to walk before you can run. But any of us, any of us could choose even one day this week and forego a meal, and pray. Any of us could do that. So that's basic level. You may be, it may be something, like I said, practical. Like it might be internet. It might be, you know, it could be video games or any of those things. But you're choosing, I'm going to take that time and pray instead. As it, here's some more thoughts with that. It's like, if you get started and you slip up, you forget to do it, whatever, just pick up where you're left. Don't throw it out. 
pick up where you left off and continue on. We want to facilitate it in a lot of other ways too. If you are the least bit internet savvy and you're on Facebook, and many, many, many people are on Facebook, our Facebook, the, the church's the page for Faith Tabernacle Church, every morning this week, there will be a post from, from me that is a, there'll be a couple scriptures, there'll be a thought for the day, there will be a prayer focus, and we encourage you to log in there. You, you can put it on, you can set it up so that it comes up at the top of your feed each day. You can, you can do that, but it's like, it's a chance for us to pray together and to follow it along together, and I encourage you to make comments, like, what's God saying to you in the midst of this? Like, this was hard, this was great. I feel like God is saying this, and we can begin to encourage each other. Now, for those of us who are more paper people and not so much Facebook people, um, there's, we've printed a few of these as well. It's just a little prayer guide journal thing for this week that we've done up, and it's the same content as what's going to be on Facebook, and you can get those on the way out at the doors after the service. So it's a way, again, we follow along, we believe together, and we pray that God will transform our city. Can we stand together? We came in this morning, and it's like, John was saying, it's like, hey, Seems quiet this morning. Seems like a quiet day. Let's see, yeah, yeah, it's a quiet day. It's kind of a quiet message, right? You're kind of like, hmm, because it's challenging. But I think in the midst of that, I want to kind of bring a little perspective. Prayer is an absolute gift from God. Gosh, prayer is an absolute gift from God. And I can think of nothing more precious than that gift shared. And so, even in this moment, like I'm talking about praying prayers to reach our city. I'm talking about prayers for breakthrough. I'm talking about prayers for the Holy Spirit to come. I'm talking about prayers of like, transform me, God. But in this moment, there's some people that need a, God, I'm not gonna make it if you don't show up prayers. There's some people here this morning that are facing things that they didn't think they would ever face, but they're in the midst of it. There's people here that, have had diagnosis. There's people here that have had reports from work. There's people here that have kids that are off the rails. There's people here that are facing things in their marriage. There's people here that, that have loved ones that are facing things. There's people here that have real needs. And so I don't want us to get the idea that this whole prayer thing is at our own expense. Yeah, I do want to keep our focus on our city but I believe that we serve a God who heals. We serve a God who, who reaches down and, and takes the broken and makes them whole. I believe in a God that takes our test and turns it into a testimony. I believe, I believe in a God like that. And I believe we're in a place where others believe that. So we're gonna get family here for just a moment. We don't need specifics. 
But here's what I want us to do as, as, the, as the team continues to play. If you're here this morning and you're like, I just need prayer. Would somebody agree with me in prayer? I've prayed everything that I can pray and I've run out of prayer. And you just want somebody to agree with you in prayer. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. But it's like, if you'd be willing to raise your hand, what I'm going to do is like, if we can do that across this room, that if you, if you want prayer this morning, that you would raise your hand. I'm just going to ask that the people around you would pray for you. I mean, we're a church, right? We're family, right? We bleed red, all of us. We're in this together. The body talks about when one hurts, they all hurt. When one celebrates, they all celebrate. So come on, across this room, if there's anyone that would like to have prayer, if you'd raise a hand. If my people, called by my name, will humble themselves pray and seek my face. So church, this is where you get to be the church. If you see someone with a hand raised, why don't you just begin to pray for them? It's like if you if they feel comfortable with it, you can put your hand on their shoulder and begin to, to, to pray for them. But can we begin to raise some prayer, some faith in this room that we can begin to believe together? And if somebody's got a hand up, please don't allow them to be standing there with a hand up with nobody praying for them. I thank you that you are a God who answers prayer and that in our desperation, God, your glory shines brightest, Lord. In our darkness, Lord, your light is radiant. God, in our brokenness, your healing power is manifest in the deepest form. So God, I pray for people here this morning that are struggling, that are ready to give up, that are, that are hurting, that are broken, that are sick that there's challenges going on that only you know, God, and only you can fix. So God, I pray that you would bring strength. You would bring your power. You would bring your love. You would bring your grace. You would bring your spirit into those situations. God, we as a church lift one another up. We bring you to that throne of grace. And God, we pray that, Lord, we can stand in the gap for one another, that we can believe for one another, that we can pray for one another. It's a gift, God. It's powerful. It changes things. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. We thank you that you have answered many prayers. And God, we thank you that in faith, we're believing for you to answer more. So God, we celebrate with those who celebrate. We weep with those who mourn. And we pray, God, that you would show yourself so real and so full in the lives of your people this morning. In Jesus' name. Just continue to pray if you're praying, if you feel that, and we're just going to begin to worship and just allow that to be a part of our worship this morning.